podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another feature show here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name is David Hockney, and as the massive NXT mark that I always am on this show, today is all about NXT, most specifically the greatest rivalries in NXT history. Uh, so before we get into that, I want to share some uh, social media plugs here. So we've got our Facebook community page where you can interact with all wrestling conversations or if you just want to have a, a general chat about anything, you know, we're all here, we're all friends, you know, just come talk to us. We've also got a YouTube presence where we've got multiple shows, including Quiz Showdown, Book It, The Conspiracy Theory. Check out the YouTube channel there. And uh, our latest Quiz Showdown episode, which is a our own version of The Chase, hosted by one of our guests here today. But more on that in just a minute. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Uh, make sure you give us a, a like or a follow. And uh, make sure to catch all of our episodes and back catalogue here on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and any good Android podcasting sites take your pick there's that many to choose from like i've literally lost count uh but now that that's all out the way let's move on to the subject of the show most importantly our guests first off uh he is known as big boss tam is mr tom mcmanus <laughs> hello no uh, how are you i'm not too bad you ready for some uh, nxt chat oh uh, very evening? much very much always excellent uh and of course uh the aforementioned host of the most recent quiz showdown, uh, The Chase, it is Mr. Cable Package himself, Mr. Kwaku Ajay. You're really going for the phalanges today, aren't you, David? Uh, well, you got to have a, a set of bollocks on you to have a, a rivalry in NXT, right? Yeah, I suppose so, I suppose so. But yeah, that's the subject of today. We're talking NXT's greatest rivalries. Now, because it's only three of us uh, on the panel today, uh, we were hoping I was originally supposed to have a roundtable discussion, but we've all uh, had a bit of a discussion uh, before we came off air, and we've just went through a list of so many great rivalries uh, that have taken place on the black and gold brand over the last few years. Now, just for reference, we're going to go back from the original days of, like, you know, the old game show format NXT, even as far back as, you know, when there was that never-ending season five, and then it slowly transitioned into full sale, right up into the latest product uh, today, the rainbow-colored NXT 2.0. I mean, it's still fairly new, but who's to say, you know, there could be a rivalry developing or has been developed throughout that time. But, Kwaku, I'm actually going to start off with you because um, you put forward some actually some very interesting suggestions, but there was a bit of a theme uh, going about it. So I will hand you over to the floor as yours, and if you'd like to share with the class what you've picked as your uh, favorite NXT rivalries. Sure, with the class, just because I teach in classes now, I don't have to walk it as if I'm the teacher everywhere, but fair play. Uh, so I have gone with the option of Undisputed Era versus everybody. Nice. Literally, I, I thought I would play into your hands, David, because I thought anything with Adam Cole, uh, you you automatically go, yep, that's correct, uh, and close the show. So, <laughs> Undisputed Era versus everyone, the first thing that, that happens when uh, we see Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish walk in and saunter and do their stuff and everything. However, we then later see Adam Cole coming in and turns out that Drew McIntyre at the time 
had an injury to his shoulder, uh, to his pectoral muscle. And from there, we just see undisputed, undisputed error, absolutely run rough shot throughout the whole NXT. Let's be honest, the War Games was all about them. It was everybody trying to take them out, whether it was AOP, whether it was uh, and Sanity, Pete Dunne, Ricochet, everybody had a crack. The uh, Tommaso Ciampa had a crack at Undisputed Era, but there was just something about them that could never get into fruition. And oddly, I'm going to name one of the best bits of the rivalry with NXT. It all came to head when Undisputed Era got all the gold every last bit of gold and they had the NXT end of year awards I'm and right. it was just seeing William Regal who is the leader, the general manager of NXT the way he's just standing there and has to absorb all of them and their smug faces coming in to collect their awards. I felt so sorry for William Regal but the way he played that and like a champ, an absolute champ and it's just a shame now, now that I'm thinking about that. It's that how NXT is just... Like, I've tried to watch 2.0. I really can't get into it. To be honest with you, NXT was the reason I kept the WWE Network. It was the reason why I, I, put, I, got, uh, I got the WWE Network on WrestleMania 33. And I watched the TakeOver just before that. And I got so into... Andrade Almas versus Gargano that I was like no I need to watch this brand I, I thought I'd give it a try see what the buzz is about mm-hmm. and I'm just not into it now but Undisputed Era were just the absolute chieftains absolute kingpins and just seeing them fight it was literally dead against everyone and that Dusty Cup final the way because uh, Bobby Fish was injured and it was just you knew Adam Cole was going to do something to get the upper hand but you just didn't know what so you fought the ladder match and lo and behold Roderick Strong betrays Pete Dunne or Peter Dune as they started calling him and mm-hmm. it, it just started the whole uh, that whole bit about uh, war games so yeah that rivalry of NXT has to be undisputed era versus everybody <laughs> I mean, Tom, I think Kwaku's off to a flying start there, but there is something I wanted to pick up on. I wanted to get your thoughts as well, uh, particularly when you're mentioning the, the, the 2018 Dusty Cup where Roderick Strong turned heel and joined them. But there was a point where they were actually feuding with uh, Roddy. I mean, following their arrival at Brooklyn 3, uh, the original lineup started teasing Strong to sort of, you know, sort of join them. Do you think there was a bit of a, even though, I mean, they never sort of faced each other one-on-one in a one-on-one capacity, do you think you know there was uh, a great story to be told behind the interaction between them and Roddy before he joined? Yeah, I mean, obvi- obviously, I mean, Roddy had like uh, we'll come to it in a bit when I when I do one of my picks. But for for me, throughout that whole sort of period of NXT, when when they first brought Roderick Strong in, he was very much the quintessential old school babyface. He had such a great look about him. Um, they they did a really good job at getting his story uh, behind him, and then it it was it was one of those times where, and I, I I've said this I think on other podcasts before, particularly on the run on the Ronda podcast, where there's this this element of going for the swerve 
that doesn't always play out. They're just swerving for the sake of swerving. This was a swerve that worked so well because it actually fit the idea of, you know, what? why not? Why wouldn't he run roughshod along with all these guys that are trying to tear down the whole place as well because he's not been getting the opportunities that he had and it broke him away from that uh, that babyface mold that Gargano was uh, holding onto as well. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was the story we all expected and then they put that beautiful sort of little uh, twist on it towards the end and it was really, really great. Mm. Uh, Quacko, I just want to return to a point you brought up about, you know, they had, uh, I think the reason they had so many great rivalries was because it enabled NXT as a brand to bring back war games. So I was wondering, do you think having Undisputed Era feud with so many people actually fueled the, the fire for being able to generate some very good war games, takeover matches and pay-per-views as a whole? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because some people criticise the fact that it was all centred around Undisputed Era war games, but like, what's wrong with that? They are by far and away the best faction going about at that time. So, if you're gonna have war, have war, war the whole point of war games is you have factions going off against one another and just having a big fight, and you have that now with Blood and Guts and AEW. However this time around it just played into the seed of the fact that Undisputed Era were absolute kingpins and what they were doing they just wanted to absolutely take over the division take over the whole brand and they did that and some and that's why I mentioned about the end of year awards and the mm -hmm. fact that they could even carry all their awards because they had all their belts, they had all their awards. And then I was just seeing William Regal's face. He's just yeah. like, what have I done? <laughs> uh, Adam Cole in particular that year, I think he had four to his name. Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. of which was for a rivalry of the year, but I think we'll bring that up uh, a, a little bit later on. But, uh, but yeah, gr great opening choice there, Quacky. I mean, just Undisputed Era running roughshod like the gang of renegades that they are and I think I wholeheartedly agree I think that was one of the reasons why NXT black and gold was must-see TV mm -hmm. uh, but Tom I'm gonna move over to you now what was uh, one of your greatest rivalries that you think deserves uh, a good mention a good mention here so I, I think this is a nice little segue in, into one of my my picks when we're talking about the black and gold brand being must see TV because a lot of this rivalry I don't think this rivalry ever made it to pay-per-view um, or to one of the takeover events so one of the things that I picked just because A I thought it was going to be a bit of a left field pick and uh, not many people was going to gonna, gonna uh, go for it was Bobby Roode versus Roderick Strong um, just after Bobby Roode won the NXT title um, I was I was all over this feud when it when it when it started to happen. It was a really really great proper just old school old school story of um, big bad heel goes against plucky babyface. Like they when NXT was doing its best work, it was doing those great video packages. It was telling those really simple stories, and this was just quintessentially that. And it was and it was all on the TV show. It made you had have to go and watch the TV show of this great story of um, Bobby Roode being the man of means um, against Roderick Strong, who's come from nothing to to really bring himself through. It was just a good baby face that you could get behind against a nasty heel. 
um, and it was it was beautiful television, just so beautiful television, and the matches were really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it's one of those uh, forgotten about feuds almost because this was mm -hmm. in the days where like NXT Black and Gold was really starting to get some momentum going with a whole bunch of new fresh talent coming in after things mm -hmm. like the Dusty Cup and the Cruiserweight Classic, etc. But um, I think this is the second time that Roddy's already been mentioned in our in our discussion here. But Quacko, I don't know if you remember much about, you know, Bobby Roode's arrival on NXT, you know, as he sort of worked his way up the ranks towards the championship. But do you think having a pure sort of fresh babyface Roderick Strong going up against, you know, the glorious heel that was Bobby Roode, uh, who had just come off a, a very lengthy stint with Impact Wrestling or TNA, like, do you think that was a good way to develop both guys in what was already a revamped NXT product? Yeah, absolutely. I have seen them wrestle before. Like, I looked back at one of their matches because, like, although I started watching after Media 33, I kind of was so... I was so into NXT, I decided I'm going to watch back at some of the highlights that people keep mentioning and some of the stuff that you all mentioned and that was one of them i did see like uh, bobby Roode's glorious entrance as well which was pretty cool to see but unfortunately in terms of the rivalry side i wasn't i'm not too clued up on that i was more like i've seen that particular match but i could i can exactly see why tom has picked this as one of the ones to go for mm. See, it wasn't. Uh, I think the tricky thing about this feud was that it wasn't. It didn't get as as much showcasing on takeovers. It was more mm -hmm. sort of relegated to NXT TV, and that actually brings me another question to you, Tom. Like, given the way NXT was formatted at the time, it was always one-hour episodes on the WWE Network. Uh, just to sort of go on off tangent and talk about the rivalries as a whole, do you think there was potential there for the rivalries to be told in a much simpler way knowing that these episodes were pre-recorded in advance and it gave some sort of breathing room to let these rivalries develop and grow over time let them plan things in advance and then when the time came it would sort of reach its appropriate crescendo do you think that's a a good way that, of going about it i think it is a good way of going about it i think probably looking back at nxt they were never afforded the breathing room that they ever truly truly needed um to foot to properly format as a television show due to the fact that you had what could essentially be described as a madman in a tower that every couple of weeks would go give me that one um you don't have him anymore um which obviously sort of got the the problem with towards by the end of it when when they called up ricochet and black and and they pretty much devastated the entire nxt main event roster um which which caused a lot of problems for them so i think in theory they did and when it was capable of doing that human beings are only programmed to have about 45 minute attention span so an hour tv is the reason why it's the reason why every other show there are no other three hour television shows on tv except for monday night raw um <laughs> there's there's a reason for that um so NXT, like, in principle, it was brilliant because it was formatted like that way. And when they were able to do it, you got those stories like with Roddy and, uh, Roddy and Rude. You had the, the, the great 
even the even the Nakamura and Joe storyline that had just come a bit before it as well was able to sort of do that because they had that breathing room of they knew both guys weren't moving up till next year. When when they were able to do it, they were able to do it. It was just you you had that problem of of the man coming around and being like, I'm going to take this one off you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it really sort of let Roddy sort of come into his own a bit. You know, this was way before all the Undisputed Era rivalry type stuff. You know, at points, you know, he was challenging for the NXT Championship on multiple occasions. So having that central rivalry to sort of help budge, budge him up the card a little bit, you know, to put him in a prime position, ready to be, you know, going through that, that whole character change for Undisputed Era. It was, he was booked very, very well. And having a, a seasoned veteran, I mean, they're both seasoned veterans in their own right. But obviously, Bobby Roode has got has had a bit more exposure, you know, given he was with, you know, WWE's biggest competitor before AEW came along. But Roddy obviously had uh, time in, like, Ring of Honor, etc. So they were both experienced. Maybe just one was more recognizable than the other. But yeah, that's a, a very almost forgotten about rivalry that I think deserves a wee bit of praise. So yeah, well done, Tom. Great choice. Uh, I'm actually going to throw one out there now, and we'll just sort of do like a bit of a round table. So one of the other rivalries that came up, and this takes us back to when uh, NXT was sort of in that sort of developing stage at full sale. You know, there was a much smaller crowd and they had just introduced the NXT Championship by this point. It was a couple of, maybe about a couple of years old by this point. But I want to throw you guys thoughts out there. How about the original great feud for the NXT title, which was Neville, aka Pac, versus Sami Zayn. Uh, Tom, I'll start with you. What do you remember about this rivalry in um, particular? So, yeah, I was very new to NXT when this all sort of started coming about, but it was, um, again, it was, I, it was, it was, I think with Neville and Zayn, it was the fact that they presented something so different that you just didn't see on any other wrestling t- TV at that point. I think even really, I mean, Im- Impact always gave it a good go and uh, TNA were always, when when they were doing it, they were doing it quite well. But I, it was it was the closest thing that you would got to the idea of like, what if Ring of Honor actually made it quite big and managed to get mm-hmm. the exposure that some people wanted them to, to deserve. And you, you could see it sort of becoming and fleshing out. And it just, it's one of those, one of those feuds and one of the, like Sami Zayn's original run, that set the foundation for NXT for what it became. It was, yeah, no, it was a real, like, a bricklayer feud uh, for what came after it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kwaku, uh, see before you started getting more involved with NXT, etc. Do you recall, like, this being one of the most talked about rivalries in what was already early days full sale NXT? Yeah. Especially what uh, I know, like a lot of people talk about the original members of the black and gold brand, if you like, like the pioneer. So that includes people like Pac, as we call him now, ne- uh, or Neville, Sami Zayn, Balor, uh, Hideo Tami, who's the, the um, when you when I'm saying all these names, you realise that they're all gone from WWE. Uh, Owens as well, uh, Nakamura, just some of the big foundation players in there. But yeah, I, I, I can only imagine the kind of rivalry because both of them do strike me as people that build on their character work. Um, especially Zayn. Zayn's a big character in his own right. I mean, like the kind of stuff he's 
doing his smackdown at the moment with Johnny I mean he's get he's got me and so invested in a rivalry with Johnny Knoxville. I like Johnny Knoxville. Uh, I just never thought it would be a, a wrestling thing, but here we are, twenty twenty two and all that jazz. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to Vince's WWE, the most stupendous, outrageous, intercon- possible intercontinental title match at WrestleMania. You're not doing it properly. You need to do it like the guy I'm going to mention next. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll get to you in just a second. But, Tom, I want to ask you about Sami Zayn. Like, underdog from the underground Sami Zayn in NXT was arguably the most one of the most beloved characters from Full Sail NXT, but he just never seemed to catch that big that big break or that big win to really sort of cement himself as a top guy despite you know having the the crowd completely behind him like it got to a point where Zayn was effectively saying look if I can't beat Neville for the NXT title I'm leaving NXT Uh, do you think it just goes to show that even when you've got one side of this rivalry you know willing to put all their chips on the table uh, for the biggest prize, does that add to the the drama and the spectacle of what makes a great rivalry? Yeah, I mean it's 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 what built um, the NWA back in the day. The chase is always arguably more exciting than the actual finish of the actual um, the story. The, that's what people sort of get get invested in. I mean, Zayn always had that unlucky f- uh, factor that he was um, dealing with quite a few injuries at the time and having to sort of reevaluate how he was working um as a wrestler with 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 a lot of what he was doing um but that that was sort of what we were all crying out for i think at that point we'd you, you've got to remember as well that we just lost daniel bryan as that sort of true underdog um baby face that we'd all had in wrestling to sort of root for um mm-hmm. around about that time that it just it was starting to um it was obviously the end of end of Brian's sort of uh, first run as as the main Universal Champion, um, and then Sami Zayn came out of nowhere, and people just people just gravitated to him. I think really, really well. It was it was always unfortunate the way it sort of came to be the fact that he he couldn't compete a lot of the times due to injury, but Ooh. he was really what people were looking for at that time. Uh, he, he didn't scream, you know, like somebody that fitted in, you know. Vince McMahon's WWE, but it certainly felt more like Triple H's NXT, if if that makes sense. You know, somebody that, you know, it was just someone with a, a lot of fight in them. I mean, look where he's at now. You know, he's pretty much branded as the the um, the annoying conspiracy theorist who takes every shortcut possible. Oh, you should know about conspiracies, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, that moniker was given to me. Uh, basically without my knowledge or any unjust reason whatsoever oh. my name is just sort of labeled on it but anyway uh, <laughs> anyway don't just how he denies it tom do not trust the word he says i i i your word is gospel to my ears quacko oh thank you <laughs> anyway quacko you said you were um you were going to talk about someone else there uh, yes so floor is yours Okay, pick number two, and I honestly cannot believe I'm even doing this because there was a point where I hated this guy so much. And when I say I hated the guy so much, I took upon myself to basically make a podcast for every takeover just to give people an alternative to listen to this instead of him on the pre-show. 
I'm talking about Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole. Like, I really hate, like, really, I was just like, oh, please, like, just get off my screen. I would mute it. And then we see these glimmer of, like, I, I remember what swung it for me was when Pat did a, a hype for one of the takeovers. And I was like, okay, that wasn't terrible. Actually, I was going as far as to say that was pretty good. And I'm like, no, slap myself. And I'm thinking, no, that can't be right. I can't be thinking like that. And then he starts to have this thing where he's on commentary and he's antagonizing Adam Cole. And then all of a sudden you get the absolute kick heard from everywhere. That was just absolutely incredible. And the way Adam Cole sells it as well absolutely fantastic uh, so we then have the further geniusness of uh, of Pat McAfee he lines himself with the Britain brawlers and uh, Danny Birch and um, Oni Lorcan other ones that have gone unfortunately this it's so sad when you think about all these people that have been released and everything and they, they start going about doing like undisputed era type things, Golden and Adam Cole. One of my favourite lines was when um, Pete Dunne slammed the door on, I think it was Damon, he slammed the door shot on him and Pat just stands back and goes, okay, a little aggressive, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing at that. And we, it all comes ahead, another war games and it's all of them versus undisputed era strangely undisputed era being the faces this time around and one thing that i've got to give so much kudos to pat mcafee is one of the arts in wrestling these days is people not being able to sell things and do it properly whereas we had pat mcafee hosting his podcast and it's no relation to wrestling whatsoever. And he's wearing a neck brace because that's how much he gets the business. Like that that is just that's just unrivaled in my opinion. Like he didn't have to wear the neck brace, but he did just to sell what had happened to in the war games match. So that's why I've got to put in that rivalry of Adam Cole versus Pat McAfee. And now he's just stupendous on SmackDown. He's getting a one-to-one -one interview with Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar does not do one-to-one -one interviews at all. He likes to keep himself to himself. And the fact that he, he's not going on Broken Skull, uh, skull uh, sessions or anything, he's gone on Pat McAfee and he actually gave Pat praise. I mean, this was after he broke his set, but that's another thing. Yeah, I mean, I have to praise you for going two for two uh in adam cole related feuds uh, see what i'm doing mm -hmm. uh but um this feud actually got nxt end of year awards 2020's rivalry of the year now tom i think would it be fair to say that you know 18 months ago pat mcafee was literally the one person every nxt fan wanted to punch in the face but nowadays on commentary he feels a bit more toned down, much more in his element as a commentator, uh, and he seems to get the business a lot better. You know, like what Kwaku said, you know, about him wearing the neck brace on his podcast following war games. But I want to, like, what did you find about 
Pat McAfee in particular that made this rivalry what it was for what was arguably a very challenging time for NXT. I'd have to say it's probably the energy that he brought. He brought such a such a different kind of energy um, to to the show at that point. Like I I haven't particularly seen a lot of this um, in in terms of what McAfee did, um, but I re- I remember the neck brace thing and I remember that he just brought. He was very. It was very much a time where it felt like NXT needed a breath of fresh air, and no one really knew what it was. And I don't. I don't know whether I'd go as far to say that he was the right breath, breath of fresh air, and that they probably would have done better by signing perhaps a bigger name or putting someone else in in a position like that. But he he certainly gave them a bit of a jolt to uh to the interest that was developing in that. And for someone who's never really been involved in wrestling before that's that's a pretty big achievement to be fair especially when you look at the situation they were in at that point where they were in a genuine tv war mm-hmm. mm. yeah and kwaku i'm actually glad you brought this one up because when i was looking back on it i did feel there was a little bit of you know a little bit of blurring the lines between kayfabe and reality especially you know it was mostly triggered from adam cole's appearance on pat's podcast mm-hmm. and Adam Cole just sort of laid waste to him where I think, you know, maybe something was spoken out of turn or there was like a, I can't remember if it was like an accidental insult in some capacity Mm -hmm. or, you know, whether it was insulting him or insulting the brand. But that trigger point of between, you know, blurring the lines between kayfabe and reality, like you have to imagine, you know, that is arguably the sort of, the best way to kick off a, a rivalry, you know, when it yeah. sort of goes away from traditional kayfabe and it introduces that element of reality. Well, you've got there is two businessmen knowing what they need to do to trigger that because everyone knows it's a bit hokey to just randomly have a wrestler who wants to fight the commentator. Like, it's, it's so done. But everyone knows you need to kind of have an element where this is the reason why it came about and they got that reason they built that reason there uh, using the kayfabe form and they it kept on Adam Cole kept on telling them to shut up antagonizing them and then that kick came in the kick delivered so well and sold so well by Adam Cole and then the way the Britta Ballers and and Pete Dunn or Peter Dune got involved in in the frackers and it, it came to a head with that big war games and Pat not shying away from taking a big bump takes a uh, takes a massive uh, drop from the top and hence why he now he then needed a neck brace so it was all it was all just the way everything was connected up. And it just made a, a rivalry that probably should have made any sense whatsoever. And it was just such a good rivalry that I won the award for rivalry of the year. And NX, when, it, when it comes to NXT rivalry of the year, there's always so many that can win rivalry of the year, but it's always those unexpected ones mm-hmm. and that really do it for me. Well, I'm glad you actually mentioned all those other candidates because I'm going to take a a few minutes now to discuss uh, some of the interactions we've had on our community page. Uh, For those of you listening, and if you want to check that out, it's on our 
it's on facebook eat sleep suplex retweet community you can sign up as a member and get involved in the discussion there so firstly thank you to everybody that uh that inputted suggestions there and i'm gonna throw a couple out there that have already been sort of that come up under the rivalry of the year nominations as well but I think there's a few I think that are definitely wearing a bit more of a, a, lo a lengthy discussion here. So, uh, Gary Morris says, American Alpha and The Revival. Uh, and if he's going for more recent, he's also had a lot of time for Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox's storyline as well. Ryan Dalglish says, Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens, another appearance for Sami Zayn here. Uh, Sean Smith says, DIY versus The Revival. Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai, Asuka versus Ember Moon, and Samoa Joe versus Finn Balor. Uh, the one that actually cropped up, which came under nominations for Rival of the Year, was Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai. And I think that is a very underrated feud for what was the pandemic era, because, uh, Tom, the Io and Candice story sort of developed after Io originally sort of turned heel following another loss to Shayna Baszler, and they ended up having a, a series of fantastic takeover matches, both with a combination of 1v1 matches and even a War Games match somewhere down the line. But do you think this was a... Like, particularly, you know, when there was um, a, much, a much greater focus on women's wrestling at the time, when you've got two top-tier performers like Io and Candice, like, do you think this one has sort of been almost overlooked ahead of all the great rivalries that have taken place in NXT over the years. Yeah, I definitely do think it has definitely been overlooked a little bit, but I think that's a testament to NXT from those times. Um, the fact that there are so many, like, we could be here for, like, if we're going to record this for, what, an hour and a half, we could easily do three, four hours on, on every single great rivalry that's happened throughout NXT because so many of them in top notch. I remember this one slipping through the net and not having too much interest behind it. I remember I remember catching one of their matches. I was at a house party um, that was That's just true. dying down and I just I, I threw it on the takeover for that on my phone and watched the Candice LeRae and Io Shirai match just sat on the couch just on my own and I was like, this is fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. This is brilliant. Um yeah, it, it, there's so many of them have have sort of slipped through the net. Um, in in terms of that, we could we could be here for all day. But yeah, Candice LeRae and Io Shirai, that was that was top notch quality stuff. Aye, and Kwaku, this uh, this feud had so many twists and turns since uh, I think it was either 2018 or 2019 when this feud originally began. But it went all the way to the end of 2020 mm -hmm. uh, before they sort of went their separate ways a little bit. But the character development over this time, you know, it was it all sort of feuded from Io Shirai's original heel turn and the original TakeOver match in 2019. <laughs> it was... But then you look at here now, you know, Io Shirai slowly morphed back into a babyface character when she she won the NXT Women's title and then Candice LeRae became the Poison Pixie. So it was almost like a, a bit of a re role reversal over time, but yet the feud stayed mostly relevant. Like, <laughs> you, you can't argue that that is you know a rivalry that stood the test of time yeah i mean it's one of those things that although uh, i mean although one has turned good or one has turned bad it, it should really be the case of oh because we're both kind of on the same side we should like each other now but no the rivalry is so strong that 
no matter and no matter what form the other person's in, they're always gonna have that rivalry. And that's where you have that long term storytelling, that long term feud that we all like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh and Tom, when you were talking about the the match earlier, were you talking about the traditional one on one matches, or were you talking about the the tables, ladders, and scares match from Halloween Havoc twenty twenty? I believe I was talking. Did they have one in a cage at one point? They no, it was Shayna and Io that were in the cage, and I think no, yes, they, they, they they faced each other in War Games twice, mm-hmm. I believe, and I think Most... Candice came out the winner both times on the winning team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it must have been then. It must have been one of the traditional one-on-one matches that that I I remember them watching. Um, it was definitely it was definitely one of the earlier ones when EO had just turned heel. It might have even been the first one. Um, just watching watching it back, I can't remember specifically the time and date of it, but it, yeah, I remember it just being like not expect I, expecting it to be of a decent quality, but not of the level that it was. It was like truly, truly one of like the far better matches I've seen on an NXT takeover show. Yeah, and just one last point on this. Uh, you know, Candice LeRae, you know, she ne- she was always a, a good contender for the NXT women's title, but you know, ever she didn't really sort of come out on top of this feud, but she definitely did cement herself as, you know, one to watch when it came to the um the sort of female performers of NXT. But yeah. Definitely uh, one that was sort of swept under the rug, and I'm glad that the that our community post uh, was able to bring it up. But there was another one that sort of cropped up, and I think it definitely deserves uh, a bit more discussion. Uh, let's talk about Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens. Like, especially, you know, given that it was it was a short but sweet feud, but Quacko, I think it's safe to say, you know, this one certainly left uh, an imprint on NXT's greatest rivalries. Yeah, I mean, this rivalry is what the one I always say that this is where the hardest part of the ring became like a thing. If you know what I mean, yeah, (laughs) this is where it really like it became popularized, and and then people realized, oh, that is the worst place. It's just the innovation. I know it's not. It wasn't exactly something new. However, it really became the. The focal point, and I think it's because the emotion put behind it, and the sheer force put behind that power bomb, and it's literally on the hardest part of the ring. So that's where that that that's the that's what the rivalry. That's like my big takeaway from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Tom, I think the the storytelling behind this feud is kind of what really sold it. You know, Owens and Zayn, you know, knew each other from. The, the independent circuits, uh, particularly Ring of Honor, is Kevin Steen and El Generico. But it was that that immediate heel turn where Owens throws Zane on the ramp and then power bombs him on the edge of the ring. The sheer shock factor alone, I think, is what was what helped kick things off for this uh, this rivalry in particular. Yeah, it really, it was it was the moment where everyone I think really started getting invested in the fact that NXT was willing to talk about things outside of wwe um i i everyone i think it was one of them moments that everyone really really wanted but never expected it to actually happen um and and then they gave it us it's why it's one of those times where it's like 
but it just it proves it's like if you listen to your fans and occasionally give them what they want mm-hmm. then then you you benefit from it as well as a promotion as well um and and they just they just ran with it and it was it was absolutely beautiful we got some excellent matches from the actual main roster and the fact that it, it's one of the few times that i think on the debuts they actually booked vince into a corner in the fact that he had to he had to carry on that story because it hadn't finished mm-hmm. um and and that's the mark of something that's really stood the test of time we'll just correct you though kwaku the uh, apron is not the hardest part of the ring. The steel ring post is the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think I think in wrestling terms, if we go for that, where it'll be, it won't, won't be so much as a wrestler wrestling match, <laughs> more of a just being a murderer. <laughs> the, uh, next, you'll be advocating that people actually use chains. <laughs> yeah, what was it? The chainsaws in Linda, Linda McMahon. Yeah. yeah, you need to get both those back in. You know, I think somewhere David Campbell is just like, where am I? Like, get me on this show right now. <laughs> I remember, I, I forgot who, but somebody just said in a hardcore match, why don't somebody just use a gun? Where does it end? Oh no, was it not um, uh, Braun Strowman versus The Fiend and there was a, a box cutter was brought out and it was used to remove the the canvas and it was like, could you not have just used the knife as a weapon? Yes, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, what, what's the, what, what, when, when do we start up, when do we stop up in the ante? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, we're going off. We're going off tangent here. <laughs> yes, but, um, we are. We are. We've uh, we've got we've had uh, male rivalries. We've had female rivalries. Let's talk about a tag team rivalry again. Another very strong post from uh from the community page. Let's talk about arguably one of the best tag team feuds, which resulted in one of the best tag team matches ever. Let's talk about DIY versus the Revival. Uh, Tom, that two out of three falls match at Takeover Toronto. Arguably one of NXT's best ever matches, wouldn't you agree? Oh, it's it's got to be at least in the top, maybe even top three um, mm. of the best matches that they've ever done. Um, that is the point for me where they set the standard of being the best wrestling show on any platform at that time. I don't I don't care what New Japan was doing at that time. I don't care what Impact was doing. I don't care what WWE was doing. No one was putting out better wrestling content than Gargano, Champa, and The Revival at that point. Like, it was just the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kwaku, it was almost like... Do you, did you get the impression that DIY were sort of filling the void of, you know, the plucky underdogs that the entire crowd got behind after Sami Zayn? It moved to the moved to the main roster. Mm-hmm. Um, like obviously everything was hearts, and we know what happened afterwards, and mm-hmm. that just the raw motion of DIY. Everyone was plucking for them to win. Revival came in as these old school heels, like proper heels that um, just didn't give a damn about your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the. Tom, the, 
the revival in particular i think you could argue had were the tag team to beat in nxt you know and as for mentioned you they were they had some great feuds with american alpha you know and the feuds over the tag tails that take over dallas that year and then it was that it was that that 2016 was a great year for tag team wrestling particularly for the old school team in the revival you know the one that everybody wanted to see topple and diy you know champa and gargano those were the guys that everybody wanted to get behind and you knew how good you know they were in the ring but this had this had almost everything you could ask for everything from uh the pursuit of a championship great wrestling great chemistry and it had the test of time behind it with you know this was during the time of the dusty cup at the same time like it just had everything you could ask for in a in a promotion which doesn't really put a lot of focus on tag team wrestling yeah i think it really took took the focus back onto tag team wrestling in general to be honest um that there, there hadn't been a, a truly truly like stellar of this magnitude tag team feud in in a really really super long time i, I don't think um and it it just it reminded everyone that tag team wrestling used to be a really really big deal um the revival were just the perfect guys for that they had everything um yeah it's 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 modern day midnight express versus the rock and roll express uh shades of tully and arn in there as well like it was just a it was just a classic reminder of like what's what was a really really good um and solid like department of wrestling Mm -hmm. yeah now the nxt year-end awards only introduced rivalry of the year in 2017 so unfortunately i think this sort of missed the cut for discussing great rivalries but for 2016 would you guys argue that diy versus the revival could be argued as rivalry of 2016 I can't think of anything else that mm-hmm. come close, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 is what else is there to to match it up to? Who's the well? See, in, in twenty seventeen, there was DIY versus the Authors of Pain. Yes, remember had they had that incredible series of matches which resulted in the ladder match. Yes, and they had that phenomenal triple threat with the revival as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is another one that's up there is like one of my favourite matches that NXT's ever done. Um, that triple threat at the um, at the takeover before that year's WrestleMania, like that's brilliant. I can't, I just I can't fit like there's there's it's a really good content year 2016 for for NXT for the the stuff that they start putting out there because it's it's Nakamura and Joe as as the main headliners at that point, isn't it? With mm-hmm. with um, with Bobby Roode starting to make his his appearances as well, yeah, I think, it, and that's a really good feud, Nakamura and Joe. Um, but yeah, I, this is next level wrestling, complete next level wrestling. Yeah, and we we've talked about DIY revival like countless times on our back catalogue. We've re- we've reviewed them on like takeover reviews like we previewed takeover toronto before i think we argued this was hands down match of the night five star rating all round uh i think on our greatest nxt takeover matches i'm pretty sure this was ranked in the top five at some point but um yeah i think you know before they introduced rivalry of the year this was a very very strong contender for what you know tag team wrestling was was all about 
and, and I'm glad we got to have that discussion. I'm surprised it didn't come up in the chat sooner, to be honest, because there was so much that could have been discussed about it. But, Tom, there was one you mentioned, Nakamura versus Samoa Joe. Like, again, another one that was sort of, you know, almost forgotten about, given how much, how many other great rivalries were around that time, because it was because of that rivalry we actually saw the first ever uh, two-time NXT champions. Uh, and it was just a really good mix of powerhouse versus strong style striking. Like, do you think these two, you know, despite having complete polar opposite styles, like, did they think they they gelled well together? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that the styles are that terrifically different, to be fair to say. They're, they've both got that core sort of like MMA background within um, of submission style wrestling with, with quite a lot of striking in there as well. Um, whether, whether I think anyone expected them to gel as well as they did with each other, um, I don't think anyone did, but it's it's one of those things and when it happened, it happened and it was just, it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff as well. Like, it's, it's one of them. I'm gutted that we've never seen We've only seen Joe and Joe and Lesnar as much as as much as we did. We only saw them for that brief period mm -hmm. the following year as well. It's like it's one of those. It's one of those where it's like if you threw Lesnar into that mix as well, that that's got a making for one of the all-time greats of both of those guys. Quacko, mm -hmm. um, were you on the the show when we reviewed Takeover Toronto? Mm, no, I don't no. think he was because I no, was on was that, I think. No, All I right. was. Th well, this um, is actually me and Tom's first show together. It is. Is that right? It yeah. is. Oh, yeah. well. There you I go. did well to avoid them as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, as you said, you know, I think there was one match in particular that really sort of hooked your interest in NXT Kwaku, but Nakamura, you know, had just arrived on the scene by that point. He slowly made his way towards the NXT Championship, but do you think having him going up against, like, uh, again, another seasoned veteran like Samoa Joe was the, the sort of bread and butter to sort of fill NXT's sort of main event scene, whilst at the same time, you know, there was still a lot of undercard talent, you know, doing their own thing and making their way up the card at the same time? Well, the thing with Joe and Nakamura is they're both proven main eventers in a previous company, a separate company, so you kind of bring a mix of their styles together, but because they've both been in that main event scene they know how to handle it they know what sells what what they've had that both of them have that experience of knowing what could work and they bring so many different various ideas to the table and it just makes for great watching mm -hmm. yeah so but um from one nxt sort of main event feud to another Tom, I'm going to pick out one of your suggestions, uh, your second suggestion, actually, from our discussion earlier. And this match, this match that they had at TakeOver won the NXT match of the year in 2019. Oh, no, sorry, not 2019. It was 2018. Yeah, my mistake. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cien Almas. The floor yeah. is yours. This is um, this is up there with Flair and Steamboat for me, um, in terms of how good it is. Like I will go and watch this. Mm -hmm. I, I'll, I'll happily say that I will watch this 
I have a selection of matches that I watch at least once a year, and it's usually the Flair and Steamboat trilogy, this, and usually Flair and Michaels. And this is yeah, this is probably the only thing of my once a year I watch that doesn't have Flair in it. This is this is oh, I, I can't I won't be able to do it justice. Um, this is one of the best professional ra- ma- matches, I think, of, of this century. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think easily of this century. Um, it's phenomenal, phenomenal wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, hits all the right notes. I don't. I don't. I was like. A, I just remember being like a kid in a sweet shop when this was on live. <laughs> I don't think I've had that feeling about a professional wrestling match in such a long time after since watching that match. It was. It was a beautiful contest. Mm. Yeah, and Kwaku, you, I, obviously you have a lot of praise for this match in particular, but the storyline behind it, it was actually the bread and butter of a of a simple feud. You know, Johnny Gargano looks to win the NXT Championship. He wins a fatal four-way number one contenders match. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he gets the match with Andrade. You know, it was never sort of really built on a blood feud. It was more just wanting to pursue the championship now that mm-hmm. you know Gargano thought he was rid of Champa for, for a good while. <laughs> oh, well, but, that's what he thought. Uh, hi, so we thought. <laughs> but yeah. That was sinister. <laughs> but yeah, Quacker, I want to get your thoughts on, on was, this match. That was a one hour later tip thing. <laughs> and it, the one hour later is just Champa waving with the crutch in his hand <laughs> oh dear uh, how things go um, yeah this, this was the match for me and I, I didn't see much of the rivalry but what you described there just see it, it didn't need all the razzmatazz or anything like that the the wrestling told its story really and it, um, it's a bit more rarer to have that d- these days but wow what a match and that, uh, like I say, this is the one that really got me into NXT in the first place. I thought, ah, I'll give it a try, and I'm still, I'm st- well, I'm not so much anymore involved in NXT as much. Uh, it's kind of lost me in its ways, but that that match was just incredible. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the match itself went 32 minutes, 19 seconds. Uh, it was given five stars. By Wrestling Observer oh, Newsletter. Oh, who cares? I know. <laughs> it was NXT's first ever five-star match, and it's WWE's sixth overall in its entirety. The one before it was John Cena versus CM Punk at Money in the Bank 2011. Mm-hmm. Like, just let that sink in. It's been seven years. It was a seven-year gap between two, the last two five-star matches in mm-hmm. WWE history, and this got this got that rating tom i mean what more needs to be said about this match well i'll say this and i, and I really like punk and see the punk and cena matches mm-hmm. this match this match doesn't even punk and cena doesn't even touch the sides of this mm-hmm. match, of how good it is um this is this is up there as genuinely like i can't praise this match enough that it's one of the best uh, professional wrestling matches that I've ever seen and that's it's just more proof to the fire of the fact that wrestling doesn't need to be overblown nonsense 
Um, you put a simple storyline of, I don't like you, you don't like me, let's have a fight about it. <laughs> and you're going to get so. And so long as you've got talented people that understand that logic, you will get absolute gold out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just look how far Andrade, look where Andrade is now compared to where he was then. I mean, this, Kwaku, this is a guy, you know, he had the world at his feet, you know, with performances like that. And on the main roster, I think it's safe to say he didn't quite reach the heights that he did at NXT, you know, with in terms of match quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems to have a, a new lease on life in AEW a little bit, but I mean, is there potential for Andrade to deliver that kind of performance ever again? There is. I mean, he's you. You, you don't kind of lose that. You. It just obviously depends on the booking. Andrade is a, is money essentially. I mean, he the work he did in Mexico with AAA, with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The the guy the guy can really do. He he, he knows how to sell a match and. Look at look at the way that that match is held in so much regard, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we go from one five star quality feud to uh, to another one, uh, and th- I'd like to throw this one out personally as well. I think I get what they were trying to do with this one, given that it was one year after arguably what was one of the greatest feuds we've ever seen. But I want to share with you guys Johnny Gargano versus Adam Cole, and. I think this one sort of came about because of it was a bit of a it wasn't the original plan originally but NXT does what NXT does best when it's presented with a situation and it's backs against the wall they they change their plans accordingly they make something new and they deliver just the same like they had the two out of three falls match at TakeOver New York Johnny Gargano finally wins the NXT championship and that match in particular was arguably one of the greatest I've ever seen on NXT, followed up by their epic rematch at TakeOver 25, where Adam Cole wins the NXT title for the first time. And then they face off in that epic three stages of hell match, where it had the wrestling match, the street fight, and then the cage of death match, or the weaponized cage, if we're using uh, official terminology, I suppose. But um, Kwaku, obviously this feud came about because of it was originally meant to be Gargano Champa, but then Champa obviously had to go away for neck surgery. Uh, but was there any better, any other better person than Adam Cole to sort of fill the void and generate, you know, what would have been another epic match? Oh yeah, I mean, give 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 Adam Cole a cardboard box; he'll make a rivalry out of that, no problem mm. at all. Um, yeah. It's just the way he is. So, I uh, absolutely, you can see why that would be the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom, the which match of this series do you think was the best one? Because I've heard people say, you know, that the first one was the best or the third one was the best. But in some capacity, I think all three sort of delivered in their own unique way. Uh, but do you think wrestling quality alone is something that, you know, can make a a good feud even greater much like what we've seen with Andrade and Gargano I I feel that with this one I would probably say the third one is the best one um, Fair enough. from a standpoint of how much I enjoyed it I I feel like 
My my biggest gripe with this was that I always wanted them to just have a singles match. Um, I I always just wanted. I was like, let's let's. We've seen Gargano delivering no DQ situations. We've seen him in gimmick matches. I want a pay per view singles match, and we never really really got that. It was always gimmicked in some kind of way. Um, but I I I still think like yeah, these are top quality top quality matches um i really really enjoyed the um the three stages of hell match um from from an in, from just a, a creative standpoint it was it was probably gargano's of, of of his entire run of matches is is one of his most creative um matches that he had i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the three stages of hell match mm. um i i just i felt at this point they oh there was a little bit of overbooking um that that let us just sap the enjoyment a little bit um and i'd love to see them just go at it from a purely wrestling uh standpoint rather than any gimmicks but they're mm. still so entertaining well in all fairness they did have the traditional singles match at takeover 25 and yeah again and more statistics here 31 minutes 45 seconds you know about the same time as gargano almas and it was given 5.25 stars. The sec only the second WWE match ever that Dave Meltzer gave more than five stars. Which I mean it, it's unprecedented knowing that, you know, Kwaku, this a feud like this can generate, you know, a match a WWE match that is worth more than five stars. I mean, if if it's if it's getting ratings like that, you know, in a you know, from a guy who tends to favor, you know, the, the indie promotions or the alternative and stuff, if a WWE mm -hmm. match is getting that kind of rating, then it's mm -hmm. clearly doing something right. Yeah, especially you did hold in Tokyo. If it was in Tokyo, I'm sure it would have got 6.25, but that's another thing. <laughs> anyway, it's one of the reasons, I'm sorry, but I just don't refer, I just don't refer to, because um, plus he's a bit of a bore. He's so boring in what he does, <laughs> uh, so that's why I call him. Uh, honestly, the, the, if 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 we all go by Dave Meltzer, what we like as wrestling, uh, it would just be the same anonymous shit that we have to watch. But hey ho, that's what it is. Uh, I digress, but uh, it's, I, I get what you mean in the fact that even. Uh, um, even someone as boring as him can be like get excited about something that's incredible. So yeah, give it kudos for that. Mm -hmm. Now we're sort of into the last sort of little segment of the show, and I would like to devote this time to what I think our audience will be screaming at us to be talking about right now. And guess what? It's going to be a hat trick for Johnny Gargano in this <laughs> later half of the feud because I this was the one of the first ones that came up in our discussion and I think we would be doing NXT and our audience the disservice if we didn't acknowledge arguably NXT's greatest ever feud and that is Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa from TakeOver Philadelphia, no sorry, TakeOver Chicago, beg your pardon uh, all the way through to take over New Orleans and beyond. The ultimate display of mind games and personal attacks and animosity 
fed in with injuries and everything else in between. Uh, I mean, Tom, where do you start with uh, with this feud? I, I think you've just got to say it's one of the best things anyone's ever done in wrestling. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's just it's every single every single time you thought Champa was getting put away for good, he came back and he and he just left Gargano Lane and you felt like you were there on the floor with him. Like that kind of heat hasn't existed in years. Like no one's been able to, to achieve a level of that kind of heat. People hated Champa. People despised him for what he was doing. And it was just it was it it was like it was like this is what it it felt like what this is what it must have been like to have been a fan in the eighties. Like mm-hmm. it, we're never gonna get that feeling ever again from mm-hmm. that. That feud will never will never see something that 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 level of feud again. I really don't think we will. Mm-hmm. And Kwaku, I think you uh, I think we sort of brought this up earlier after the DIY AOP discussion. Mm-hmm. Like again, one of the very first instances of NXT. Never trust the watermark. <laughs> yep. I mean, Champa throwing Gargano off the side through the announce table when his ACL was was shredded and he had to go away to get surgery. This wasn't your traditional feud, you know, where the two falling out tag team partners go immediately go into a into a scrap after the the paper or the takeover pay per view, etc. This this was Champa essentially haunting Gargano like a spectre for the best part of eight to nine months. It was such a unique approach to how people handled a wrestling feud. And the use of social media, I think, was done to perfection in this instance. So how do you think the the impact of social media reflected on this feud and how did it add fuel to what was already a giant mountain of petrol? Well, our listeners are going to be a bit of a deja vu because it was just last week where I presented Tommaso Ciampa as the greatest villain in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm now going to be talking about Tommaso Ciampa again and what he did. And this is exactly the points I was saying was the fact that he he did all these despicable bastard and things all the while he was injured and nobody I, I, I can't rev- I can't think of anybody who's had such strong an impact while they're out injured like that and it's just the, the whole things that were so iconic him coming out to no music and then the time he uh, you hear Rebel Heart playing for Johnny Gargano and everyone's cheering and he comes out and just waves at the top and it's just met, he's just met with a crescendo of booze the whole story the fact that uh, this was main evented their feuds were main evented not title matches but their actual feud was main evented so uh, it has to. It's it's just it's just up there. Is to me, it's just the epitome of NXT. The, mm. That's rivalry. Yeah. Uh, Tom, match. I want to talk about the build up to the match because the true build to the match came up after Takeover Philadelphia when Champa returned. He attacked Gargano with Crutchy, 
and <laughs> that's when the seed was firmly planted for what was going to be WrestleMania weekend. But it wasn't without a few obstacles in between because Gargano got his rematch with Almas on the almost forgotten rematch because the, the takeover match was almost enough for that feud. But, you know, being the, the fickle, greedy bastards that we are, NXT gave us a rematch for it. But um, obviously because he lost because of Champa, he had to end up leaving NXT and he, the only way he could get it back, his job back was to defeat Champa in an unsanctioned match. Unsanctioned obviously being like, you know, this is just a straight up fight and plain clothes officials are there just to count the pin or call for the submission. Do, do you think this was the cherry on top for a storyline that was just told so, so beautifully well? Yeah, I think I think the, the, the extra stakes of it were really important because it gave it gave the stakes stakes of the idea of um, even just the fact that they presented you with the match at Philadelphia, and then a couple of weeks ago they took it away by the fact that Gargano wasn't in NXT anymore because everyone was like, "Well, what happens to the match now? Is he gonna have the match? With, is he gonna have a match with Champ with Champa because he he was away?" It, it's one of them it, it shows how strong that people were invested in it because that storyline makes no sense as well that mm -hmm. how does he get his job back by having an unsanctioned match mm -hmm. if it's not recognised by WWE or NXT how does he get his job back at the end of it but people it's just that's the point because people just wanted to see they just needed any opportunity mm -hmm. to see Gargano finally kick Champa in the backside mm -hmm. um, and it was it was it was how invested people were so invested in this and that's mm. how because how great it was you you raise a good point there tom because like you, you could have had gargano getting some magic beans climbing up a beanstalk and going to the don uh, champas to get his job back it still would have made sense and it's because we're all, all clamoring for this absolutely clamoring for people, it so. people would have still been they could have gone as ridiculous as they wanted with this Mm -hmm. And it, it, no one would have, no, no one would have cared whatsoever. Oh, if it had Jim been... Cornette, Jim Cornette with his satirist lair went, da, 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 but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you'd have thought, you'd have thought the feud would end there as well, but they, they ended up having two more matches somewhere down the line with the, the Chicago Street Fight in Chicago 2, and then subsequently the Last Man Standing match, which was for the NXT title, given that Champa had won the title by that point. So, again, that's... The feud went on surprisingly a lot longer than anybody anticipated because, I mean, sure, it had the great crescendo with the unsanctioned match, but it actually ended up going all the way to the following year's WrestleMania weekend, which, unfortunately, you know, it became Gargano Cole because of Champa's neck injury. But, um, obviously, Johnny going through this much darker turn afterwards, becoming more unstable etc do you think this was a it was the fallout of that unsanctioned match that even though he defeated champ in the unsanctioned the the fallout from it it almost felt like a, a case of ptsd and that he just couldn't get him out of his head do you think mm -hmm. that added to that feud or do you think it sort of diminished it a little bit i i always felt that anytime they strayed the line of turning gargano heel they were letting <laughs> a they were letting an opportunity slip them by 
he had a long ways to go, I think, in, ter in terms of still staying as a babyface. Um, I don't think I've seen anyone as invested. Like, the only person who comes close to how invested people were in Gargano as a babyface was Brian in 2013 to 2014. And even then, it's, it's marginally that Gargano edges Brian out a little bit there in terms of how invested in him. Those kind of opportunities, in terms of having that kind of person that people are invested in, they don't come around very often. So I always thought it was a bit, a bit of a mistake to sort of tease him as the baby, uh, tease him as someone who's going to eventually turn heel. But there also had to be a breaking. Like you can't, you have to keep a natural element in the story, and everyone's got a breaking point. It was just finding out what Gargano's breaking point was. Mm -hmm. um, in in that storyline, yeah. Um, just uh, one last point on this particular feud. Let's just have some quick thoughts on the the unsanctioned match itself because that match um, main evented what is arguably NXT's best ever takeover event, and it was on WrestleMania weekend of all weekends as well. Uh, a match that went thirty seven minutes six seconds. And it was the third NXT match to get five stars. The second one was earlier in the night when the NXT North American title ladder match took place. So I just want to get you guys' favorite moments from the from the unsanctioned match itself. Like, what, were the, what, what elements in particular almost wrapped up the feud so nicely in a little bow and just put a cherry on top and said, yeah, this is our one of our best rivalries that we've ever told. I would say that final image of Champa tapping out, it was like it was the culmination of a story, like that sense of relief that you got by the end of it, that the fact that you were you were like, Oh my god, it's finally over. Um, he's done it. We've we've finally watched him do it. It was it was almost better than ever seeing him seeing any title win that we've ever seen. It's that, that just that sense of relief that you tend to only get once a year when you've watched these big feuds finally culminate. Obviously, they then carried it on afterwards um, in in an exceptional fashion. But it was just that sense of that sense of like he's done it. He's finally done it. We've been with this guy, and we were right to be with this guy and stick with this guy for as long as we did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kwaku. Any favourite moments from the unsanctioned match that oh. stick with you? I think it, the touch of the like the referee not wearing official clothing was a good touch mm -hmm. on that. It's like he had clocked off <laughs> kind of Hi. thing. And it's like, oh, I want over, oh, I want overtime, get this done quick, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. And I did like that element of it. And also the, it's just. It was just a lot of the near falls, especially because you be, you were like wondering, oh Jesus Christ, why won't you die? Just, 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 <laughs> just, just, some, just someone just stop already, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it had that that element about it. Is like, okay, oh god, how far are these guys gonna go? But one moment that actually stuck out for me was the DDT on the concrete, mm -hmm. uh, and the crowd chance to champ out, you deserve it. Because <laughs> I think because pe people recognize because people recognized how much bad stuff that Champa did to Gargano, and people were feeling like Ch Champa was finally getting his comeuppance. 
And, you know, Tom, you said, you know, the the last image of the, the knee brace around Champa's face, that was a, a hell of an image. Uh, the DDT on the concrete, though, did it for me with the because just because of the way the crowd responded to it. Because normally when people see that, they just go, oh, uh, but people were actually <laughs> cheering for it, like saying you deserve it. It's it's one of those things you 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 know specifically who's the face and who's the heel in this scenario. And I think it goes down as one of the best rivalries, if not the greatest rivalry that NXT's ever produced. But just going to throw out a few facts for you before we do our last little segment. Um, specifically around Rivalry of the Year. So the most wins for Rivalry of the Year is a tie between Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole with two apiece. Uh, the most nominations for Rivalry of the Year, it go, again, goes to Johnny Gargano. Six nominations for Rivalry. Uh, and most nominations for Rivalry of the Year in a single year goes to Johnny again another hat trick for Johnny Gargano I mean he seems to have all the best feuds Gargano here but he got three nominations for rivalry of the year in 2018 uh so if I just bring those up quickly yeah so a uh, feud with Champa obviously the feud with Andrade and the other one which is almost forgotten about uh it's a four-way feud between Alistair Black, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, and Nikki Cross. Because remember, Nikki's got a secret? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's how, Nikki, that's, how, that's how Nikki gets involved in that, in that angle there. I mean, that's, that's mad when you sort of read it out loud. But that was when Alistair Black had to be taken out because of his injury, and that's how he ended up with the last man standing match as a result. So that went to the tail end of 2018 etc and it's what fueled johnny gargano's heel turn as well but yeah that was just some of the statistics for nxt's rivalry of the year one last thing before we go i want both of you to give me your top three nxt rivalries of all time now it could be either one we've already discussed which i imagine i think it's probably going to be likely or you can even just throw a a curveball out there you know throw in one that we haven't discussed yet so Kwaku I'd like to start with you what would you say are your top three rivalries and they could be in any order yeah Undisputed versus everyone uh, <laughs> Gargano Champa and okay I'll go cause of the match Amas and Gargano fair enough Tom I'll go with Gargano Almas um I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pop Gar uh, Gargano Champa to one side just because we've talked about it as much as we have. Obviously yeah, fair enough. It's there anyway, um, I'm gonna go for DIY and the Revival. Great. And I'm gonna go for um, one that I feel we will get shouted out for not mentioning, um, but we've probably got to talk about it if, if in the last few minutes. Probably Bailey and Sasha. Oh Christ, yes. <laughs> We're in a lot of trouble, boys. Oh, we are in a lot of trouble, yes. Right, quick, quick. Let's spend the last 10 minutes or so talking about Sasha and Bailey. Oops. It, well, was really, it was really great. Good night, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That was awesome, yeah. Oh, but yeah, nah. Well remembered, Tom. Let's get yeah. let's give some time to Sasha and Bailey. Let's not do a 3MB repeat from one of our earlier shows for Greatest Stables. So, uh, actually, tell you what, Tom, since you brought it up, uh, I Sasha and Bailey, like feud of the year, arguably 2015. 
at two of the greatest matches we've ever seen, uh, particularly from a you know a women's uh, division standpoint. Like, and this was at a time of you know the women's revolution. You know they were sort of edging away from divas, etc. We were looking at genuine female superstars here. Like, what was it about Sasha and Bailey that made this a worthy feud? I, th- I I honestly think it's just because we didn't have any of that jargon like divas, supers. NXT always shied away from actually using like they never went as far as a way of saying like I I don't think I think they've probably used it a few times where they've always gone like we're professional wrestlers rather than superstars. But I think that was always one of NXT's big points is the fact that they never used any kind of jargon. It was like with Bailey and Sasha, it was like yeah we're women but we're wrestlers before we're we're women in this situation. And I think part of that, obviously, you've got the fact that they're two immensely talented wrestlers as well. Um, mm. But it was just the fact that there was there was no jargon in behind it. It was just like mm. this deserves to be the main event, so we've made it the main event, um, and that just propelled it to just a level because you weren't having this weird kind of shroud of like this is a revolution behind it. Um, it was just it was a match that was deserving of being the main event. Yep. And as you said, you know, they were wrestlers before, you know, branding them as divas. Kwaku, do you think the characters themselves contributed as well, given that, you know, it's Sasha Banks, the boss, mm-hmm. probably one of the best female characters we've seen in, actually, you know, one of the best characters we've seen mm-hmm. in NXT alongside, you know, the most, one of the most loved babyface characters in The Hugger with Bailey, probably the sort of female equivalent to where Sami Zayn was at the same time. Like, so what, what was it about the characters that you think added to this feud as well? Well, you do. You have two polarizing people that later became friends, that are rivals and then frenemies and back and forth. But you have two people that are two complete opposite. Bailey, you know, the type of person that will hold your kid, hug them, uh, do everything right. Sasha, the type of person that would just be absolutely mean, like the absolutely mean person around, but does it with purpose because you know what you know what she's capable of, and just the way that she entered in to full sale with the Escalade, with the bodyguards and everything, that was just prime boss. So you had two big opposites in people mm-hmm. who tore it up because they were both really good but also they just did not like each other mm-hmm. and tom obviously sasha did the interaction with izzy as well you know it's literally sticking it to someone like your opponent's mm-hmm. fans as well that just adds a whole new dimension to mm-hmm. what was a, an amazing feud at the same time because bailey was adored by everybody not just like young girls who saw her as the ideal role model but you know families loved her men were fat fans of her like everything from parents to kids you know bailey just appealed to everybody whereas sasha only really was in it for herself as the boss character and just wouldn't stop at anything you know she walked and talked like she was a boss as you said quacko two polarizing figures that mm-hmm. gelled so brilliantly and delivered what was match of the year at TakeOver Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, a rivalry that stands the test of time that a lot of people talk about. 
what people hold in high regard and culminated with the Iron Women match especially, so right up there in terms of a rivalry. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom, final point uh, before we wrap up. The one line on commentary that stuck with me following the, the Brooklyn match, and then it sort of led to the Iron Women match, Corey Graves said on commentary when Sasha and Bailey were standing with Charlotte and Becky, he said, that right there is your women's revolution. Like, you couldn't put a bigger spotlight on women's wrestling than that one line of commentary. And that still gives me chills uh, watching that back. I mean, is it the same for you? Oh, very, very much so. It's, it's, it's a real defining point um, that we all got to finally witness. Um, I, I think at that moment it was it was huge. Um, I think when 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 it was actually all over, that match was over, and we we all just let the dust settle for a second. I think it was like this is this is something that we've just watched that's going to be talked about for a really long period of time. It's one of those moments where you like if you'd been in the arena for that match as well. It's like you must have been. This is this is a history making moment. This is a defining moment in the way professional wrestling is going to be remembered. Mm -hmm. And I think it's those kind of rivalries that made NXT Black and Gold the most popular brand of the entire wrestling industry. I mean, given that, you know, this was before you know, AEW and that came around, but this was the reason why people watched NXT for great matches, great characters, but at the same time, great rivalries. And I'm really glad we got to focus on some of the the key ones that defined the brand for years to come, but also even a few a few others that were sort of almost forgotten about, but were still just as great because there was that many good ones mm -hmm. on on a great brand. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us here on this week's feature show. Hope you enjoyed listening to our NXT's greatest rivalries. If you have any that weren't mentioned, feel free to have a go at us on our community page. And I'm glad Tom brought up Sasha and Bailey because I think if we'd missed that out, we would have been getting abuse for, for weeks on end. So Tom, consider yourself the MVP of, of this show. Hey. Hey, no, Quacker, you're the MVEP. You saved yourself. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but if you want to hear more great content like this, we're on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. Uh, whichever one suits you, just uh, search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet and listen to our back catalogue. We're on YouTube as well. We've got The Conspiracy Theory. We have our Book It tournament where we do a little bit of fantasy booking on, for certain promotions and scenarios. And we also have the latest episode of Quiz Showdown, which has come out this week, hosted by Quacku. And it is ESSR's own version of The Chase. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you're a fan of that show, give that a watch. It's a, it's a really great great uh, bit of content to watch. Uh, and if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Give us a follow, give us a click, and be sure to join us on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community page where some of your comments and suggestions might get featured on a, fu on a future show. Uh, but don't forget our great content as well on our back catalogue. We have ESSR Central coming out every week. We also have Saturday Draft Live, the best show, I would argue, the A show, coming out every Saturday. We'll be discussing our fantasy draft uh, performances uh, for the week. Uh, but yeah, all that remains to be said is thank you to my panel for, for this episode. We have Tom McManus. Thank you very much. And Mr. Kwaku Ajay. Thank you. 
I've been David Hockney, and this has been NXT's Greatest Rivalries. Next week, keep an eye out for the What If WrestleMania edition. So we'll see you then. Good night. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on each Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Seek Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network.